You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good evening, everyone. I'm going to be preaching through that Romans passage, so I'd love for you to have it with you as I preach. I'm going to pray for us before we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a talkative God, that you love to speak to us through your word and by your Son. Father, help me to speak clearly and faithfully now, that we might hear your word and love you more and love others more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what your definition of good is. This is a question that man has been pondering since the creation of Adam. Philosophers spend their days asking themselves this question. What is good? What is true? What is beautiful? What does it mean to live the good life, to be successful, to, for humans to flourish in this world? At the moment, the culture that we live in uh, defines good as whatever is true for you, whatever makes you feel good. If it's something that makes you feel like your true self, then that must be right. It can't be bad if it makes me happy. Truth, beauty and human flourishing are centred on the individual. Success is seen as the individual getting ahead of others having more possessions, having more fun, being more beautiful, having more experiences, living better in this life. Our happiness is measured against other people. I wonder what your definition of good is. Another way of thinking about this question is, where do you put your hope and security? What do you hope will keep you from harm? Money, a good job, a good education... Where do you find your security? This has been a big question for me over the past uh, seven months. I've uprooted myself from my native land and I've, you know, got rid of all my friendships and all my relationships. I've left all my earthly possessions in a house with my parents. I've been going to various cities over the past couple of months and uh, going to different strange locations, sleeping in hotels and motels where I'm not sure who's outside my door and what they're doing out there. And this question has been looming large on my horizon. Where do I put my trust and security, my hope? Is it in the money that I have in my wallet? Is it in my passport? Is it in my driver's licence? Is it in my ethnicity? Or is my hope and secure, hope and security in Christ? In today's passage of Romans, Paul tells us that we don't need to fear the things of this world. We don't need to worry about this life because God is working for our good and he has secured it for us in Christ Jesus. We don't need to worry about the things of this world because we have an eternal security in Christ. Let me show you what I mean by this. Look at verse 28 with me. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
this passage is pretty clear, isn't it? Those who love God, God works good for them. The logic being that if you love him, he will give you the goods. And this is commonly how this passage is interpreted. If you're a Christian, then you should expect many blessings. And are they going to be good blessings? I can tell you. Because God himself is going to be giving them to you. So if you love God, you'll have a good job, a nice car, a nice house, in a good suburb, a winning smile. You'll look great, you'll feel great, you'll smell great. Your children will stop arguing, your wife will stop nagging, your husband will stop avoiding. You'll instantly find your perfect match and fall in love. Your football team will win this fall. Your favourite shoes will be half price all the time. You'll finally pay off that mortgage. This is what Paul's talking about, right? That's what he's saying. That when we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit gets into the ear of God and helps us out and gets the things that we want. This is the good that he's talking about, isn't it? Well, he goes on to define what he means by good. Look at verses 29 to 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Here we have the definition of good. The meaning of good is to be conformed to the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The meaning of good is Christ-likeness. Far out, Paul, you've just gone and ruined it all. You know, if you just stopped at verse 28, it would have been all great. But if you know anything about Jesus' life, if you know anything about Jesus, you realise the problem here. Because it's Jesus who said, those who want to be first in the kingdom of God, they must be last. Those who want to exalt themselves, they must be humbled. He said to the rich man, if you want to be perfect, go sell all of your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Blessed are those who are insulted because of me. No one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. If anyone comes after me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. The Jesus way of life is a way of life of dying to the self and living for God. It's a life of self-denial, of humility and giving to others. It's the narrow path, the the loving of enemies, the taking up of a cross, It is totally incompatible with the way of this world. But we don't want this. We want to live life our way. We don't want to live like Jesus. We're transfixed, fixated on the imminent sphere, fixated on things that we can see and touch and taste. We want it and we want it now and we want it our way. Fast food, fast cars, fast internet. If you have to work for it, it's not worth it. We lose sight of the glorious future that God has secured for us in Christ Jesus so that we can be satisfied by the things of this world. We reduce the meaning of good down to 
pleasure, satisfaction and the pursuit of happiness. We place our security in the ever-diminishing returns of this life. I have a friend in Sydney uh, who's fascinated with body hacking. Now that sounds, sounds a bit gruesome, but it's not when you chop off your limbs or when you kind of become a human cyborg, but it's when you kind of use the latest trends in science to kind of better yourself, become a better version of yourself. So he's always interested in the latest quick fix that will help him to get in shape. Now, I don't want to say a bad word about this guy because he is the most fittest person I've ever met. He runs ultra-marathons. When he goes hunting, he doesn't take a gun. He just runs down the deer and then, you know, takes it out with this knife that he's created. This guy is insane. Uh, But he's always looking for the next new thing that will help him. The paleo diet, the bulletproof diet, high-intensity interval training. These things might mean anything to you, but that's okay. He moves from one thing to the next looking for that magic bullet that will make him, you know, magic. The next quick quick fix, the latest trend, the one thing that will change his life. He's constantly looking for a saviour. But I'm just like my friend, not in the physical way, but in the emotional way. My search for a saviour is just a little more subtle. It manifests itself in different ways by trying new hobbies, trying to be good at everything I put my hand at so that that one thing that I'm good at might change my life. I might be a better person, more attractive, you know, more friendly, more interesting to others. I'm constantly travelling, trying to find the perfect spot, the you know, most beautiful location so I can finally relax, trying to fit in the most experiences I can in this life. My hope that moving countries will totally change my life so that I'm a more mature, a cooler version of myself. I'm always looking for that one thing that will make it all worthwhile, the one thing that will satisfy my life. I'm seeking a saviour in the things of this world. But God is not satisfied with that attitude. His vision of good is much bigger than ours. He longs to see us transformed into the image of his Son. See, God's vision of good is being like Christ. It's not being a better version of yourself. It's about being more like him. He doesn't want you to be more comfortable, to be more wealthy or be more secure in this life. He wants you to be sacrificially loving, to be humble and caring. He wants you to be more like Jesus. But unlike the things of this world, God is not full of empty promises. He's not a politician or a used car salesman promising one thing and then delivering another. God promises our good and he delivers it. Those he calls, he justifies. Those he justifies, he also glorifies. God has done it. The good news of the gospel is that God has provided a saviour for us. We don't need to put our hope and security in the things of this world because God has secured a glorious future for us. He has done what this world is incapable of doing. He sent his own son to die for us, that we might be secure in him. And because of this, because of his death and resurrection, because of his ascension, we have a glorious future awaiting for us, a life secure in him. 
There'll be a time where we will be with him, when our bodies will be transformed and there'll be no more suffering, no more death, no more funerals, no more tears. But for now we wait. We wait with great hope, knowing that this future has been paid for with the blood of Jesus, knowing that the spirit who raised him from the dead dwells in us. I don't know what scares you about this world. There's a lot to be worried about. There's little things like trying to work out what to wear each day. There's big things like uh, trying to make sure your family is safe and secure, happy, and that they have everything they have, sorry, everything they need to live well in this society. You need to worry about having a good job that pays enough money so that you can have a car that runs. You can have a ceiling that doesn't leak when it rains. We want to make sure that our children get a good education so they can get a good job and live well in society. There are so many things to worry about, aren't there? Sometimes it's just easier to stay in bed and not worry at all. Well, the good news is... Well, let me show you what the good news is in verse 31, actually. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The good news is that God is on your side. God, the creator of all things, judge of all people, he is on your side. The one who upholds the universe and sustains it by his breath, he is rooting for you. And if God is on your side, then it doesn't matter about the things of this world. It doesn't matter who can be against you. You don't need to worry about the mistakes of your past, of your present or of your future. God is in your corner, so much so that he's given up his one and only son for you. Notice, though, what this passage goes on to say. Look at verses 33 to 39. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who, then, is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you notice the assumption running through those verses? The assumption of this passage is that bad things will happen to you. Just because God is on your side doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. You don't get a free pass straight to heaven. There will be trouble and hardship. There will be persecution and famine. There will be nakedness and danger and violence. The devil will try whatever he can to come between you and God, between you and Jesus. He'll make you feel like you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. But being a Christian is not about being whiter or happier or having a brighter smile. It's not about having your best life now. Being a Christian is about knowing that your eternal future is secure because of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. You don't need to worry about the things of this life. 
The Gospel is that you have been saved because of what God has done for you. You haven't earned it, you don't deserve it. But he loves you all the same. There will be plenty of suffering in this life. Your grandfather could die from lung cancer, your uncle from a brain tumour, your mother could get breast cancer, your sister could go through a divorce. This world is broken and hurting. But these things will not overcome us. For God is on our side. And nothing can separate us from the love he has for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at verses 37 to 39 with me again. Now in all these things we we know that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is not saying that these things will not try to separate you from God. He's saying that in dis- despite all these things trying, nothing can separate us from God. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God has overcome. I had a strange dream last week about two high school friends. We were hanging out, doing something with cars. I can't really remember the dream. But I remember the the feeling of guilt that I had when I woke up. I was just kind of overwhelmed by guilt. I felt guilty that I wasn't a better friend to these people, that I hadn't shown Christ's love more to them, that I hadn't been better to them, that I just wasn't good enough for them. I don't know if you've ever felt like this. I don't know what guilt you might be carrying around with you, what mistakes you've made in the past, whether you feel like you're not a good enough parent or friend or sibling, whether you're guilty about past choices you've made, or you just don't feel like you measure up, you don't feel like you're good enough. Do you know that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Do you know that you don't need to try to be good enough for God? Do you know that you don't need to feel guilty anymore because Jesus has paid for all your mistakes? He's paid for all of your sins. And these realities, these mistakes, they do not define our life anymore. Your mistakes, my mistakes, they've been made up for in Christ. So what do you feel guilty about? What sins cause you the most distress? Do you know that God's love is greater than these? Greater than your biggest mistake? God has provided a saviour and there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The judge of the whole world has pronounced you as not guilty. You have been forgiven. There is nothing else to fear. God has done it all for me and God has done it all for you. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.